Okay, we are reading in Daniel chapter 8, starting today in Daniel chapter 8. So let's start reading from verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, in the reign of Belshazzar the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Ulai Canal. Then I lifted up my eyes, and I looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one was coming up last. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power, but he did as he pleased, and he magnified himself. While I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram, and he was enraged at him, and he struck the ram, and he shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of the one of them came forth a rather small horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth. And it trampled them down. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. And it removed the regular sacrifice from him and placed his sanctuary and, 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 the, and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And on account of the transgression, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice. And it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply, while the transgression causes horror, so as to allow the holy place and the host to be trampled? And he said to me, 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the Lord, I'm sorry, then the holy place will be properly restored. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Ulai, and he, came, he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing, and when I came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Now, while he was talking to me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand upright. He said, Behold, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of indignation, for it it pertains to the appointed time of the end. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the king of Media and Persia. 
The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. And the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from the nation, although not with his power. In the latter period of their rule, when transgressions have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. And he will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And, though his, and through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to su- succeed by his influence. And he will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. The vision of the evenings and mornings, which has been told, is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. So we'll read the last verse later on. So, Daniel has now a vision. In chapter 2, we saw that King Nebuchadnezzar had a, a vision that Daniel interpreted for him. And you may remember it was a statue, the head of gold, chest and arms of silver. And then it had a, 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 a bronze legs of, uh, it had a, a, a bronze middle and bronze le- legs. And then finally it had iron further down on the legs and then mis- mixed with clay. Those were four kingdoms. It was described to us. Daniel interpreted it. Then in Daniel chapter 7, we got more information on two of those particular kingdoms. And so in, 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 in uh, Daniel chapter 7, I'm sorry, in Daniel chapter 7, he focused only on the fourth kingdom. Daniel focused on the fourth kingdom in his last vision. Now in Daniel chapter 8, what he's going to do, he's going to focus on the second and the third kingdom only of those particular two and then relate it to the end times. So Daniel is filling it in. Now remember why we have prophecy. We looked at these verses last time. Why do we study prophecy? Jesus even told us why we are to study prophecy. So that when it happens, we can be in the fear of God that indeed this has happened. Jesus spoke prophetically many times. Daniel is speaking prophetically. That's the background. So this happens, it says in verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. So this is the year 551 B.C. It's two years after chapter 7. Chapter 7 said that it was in the first year of Belshazzar. So this is, uh, and it's 12 years before the events of chapter 5, 12 years before the destruction of Belshazzar. Daniel at this time is in his late 60s. So this puts it in context of where Daniel was. So the vision... uh, so, so um, he has this vision, the location. So it says he saw in the vision, he's transported in a vision. He's not actually there, but in his vision he's transported. He's physically remaining in Babylon. But he's transported to a place called Shushan, is the place it, it mention, mentions. And it, it specifically says, I was looking and I saw the citadel of Susa in verse 2. Susa is the name that the Greeks call this, this country or this area, Shushan. It's 230 miles east of Babylon. It's 120 miles north of the Persian Gulf. Little was known about that city at that time that this prophecy came forth. It was about 50 years later that that city really started to expand. And that city is mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and in Esther chapter 1, verse 1. It turns out to be the palace where the Persian 
government is going to reside. At the time of his prophecy, there was not much there. But 50 years later, there was plenty there. Uh, it was in the province of Elam of Persia. And then he says he was by the river Ulei, and that's on, on the southwest of Susa. And there was a canal, he mentions, the Ulei Canal, connecting the two rivers. There are two rivers there that it connects. So then in verse 3 of chapter 8, he's, he sees this ram standing by the river. The ram signifies Persia. How do we know that? Further down in that same chapter, it tells us that the ram is, is the Medo-Persian, the Medo-Persians. And so we had seen in chapter 7 that it talked about there being a lopsided uh, um, bear because you had Medo, the Medes and the Persians had combined forces, but the Persians were much stronger. The Persians, it's, it, it's interesting that when a Persian general would look over his troops, he didn't wear a big stone, a diadem. He wore actually a ram's horn. And this is how the, 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 the Bible is describing what, what Daniel saw. Uh, and so this represents uh, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, which is the second of the four empires that are mentioned. There were two horns, the Medes and the Persians, signifying the Medes and the Persians. Both were high and powerful. But the second one that came up grew stronger. So the Medes were dominant to begin with, and then the, the, the Persians superseded them. The higher one came out last. Uh, before Cyrus ever came to power, the Medes had actually even helped the, the uh, Babylonians to defeat the Assyrians. This was in 612 BC. But later on, they partnered with the Persians and they helped the Persians to overthrow Babylon. <clears throat> we, we had learned formerly that, that, uh, uh, that this is the, the, the chest and the arms made out of silver is the relation in, um, in, in the imagery that's given in the book of Daniel. If you don't like imagery, what you want to read is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul removes all the imagery, speaking primarily about the fourth kingdom, the, the end of that fourth empire. Uh, he, does, he removes all of that. Then when you go into Revelation chapter 11, chapter 13, chapter 17, full of imagery, it comes back. The, there's these actions. Now, all of a sudden, so, so you remember there was this, this chest and arms of silver and the lopsided bear where the Persians were stronger than the Medes. This is exactly what you see here. You see these lopsided horns where the Persians are stronger than the Medes. Then comes in this ram in verse 4. He says, I saw a ram budding westward, northward, and southward. Westward was toward Babylon, Syria, and Asia Minor. Northward was Caspian Sea region, Armenia, and Scythia. And southward, Egypt and Ethiopia. There was no conquest to the east. The Persians did not move east. So this, this, uh, this, this ram was, was not moving in the east. So they weren't moving further east. So the Persians never conquered further east. And remember, this is being prophesied several hundred years before these events. And then he says that the success was due to a divine agent. No beast could stand before the Persians. No one could deliver from their hands. You see the same thing Nebuchadnezzar said. Nobody can deliver you from my hands. The Persians have this sense. Nobody can deliver from our hands. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was overthrown in his grandson's reign. The Persians now have exalted themselves and they feel nobody can overthrow us. Nobody will overthrow us. Remember that thought, because that's going to be the thought when we pull all this together. Their success is by a divine grant. It's given to them. 
the result that they did according to their will. And it says in, uh, in, in verse 4, the end of verse 4, that they magnified, it magnified himself. So this is what happens. When, when we are exceedingly successful, a nation is exceedingly successful, it starts magnifying itself. Then if we go down to verse 5, all of a sudden there is, there is a male goat, this he-goat or male goat. And it says that, that it's interesting that the Bible further down in the same chapter interprets for us that the male goat is Greece. So this is that third kingdom. And so what we're doing in this chapter is he's building up details of what we learned in Daniel chapter 2 and what we learned in Daniel chapter 7, specifically telling us about the second and the third kingdoms. It says that, that, that literally... The, the word male goat means the buck of the goats, the B-U-C-K, the buck of the goats. And he came from Macedonia and Greece, which is west of Persia. He came from the west of Persia, over the face of the whole earth. It says that, that uh, uh, this was a divine grant over the face of the whole earth, and it simply meant the land that, that, that it means it came from, from the east, from the, from the uh, west side of Persia, moving eastward. It didn't touch the ground. It says that it was walking as if it didn't even touch the ground. And what he's speaking of is the Greek army is coming. The Greek army is led by a man named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great became king at the age of 20. It was your age when he became king of Greece. And he conquered like nobody has ever conquered before him. He was trained and mentored by a man named Aristotle. His father was mentored by Aristotle. He was mentored by Aristotle. The young man was 20 years old when he got command of Greece and he started the conquest. His father had wanted to take over the Persians, but his father was killed before that could happen. And so now it falls to Alexander. And Alexander, it talks about how his army moved with enormous rapidity. Very quickly his army could move. And this is how you see it described in this vision to Daniel. Many years before this is happening. So this is, this is being described by Daniel 200 years, 250 years before it ever happened. Daniel is describing this. Going to be moving extremely quickly. Talks about there's a notable great horn. Because further down in the chapter it says that horn is the first king. And that is, is its first king. This conquering empire. That was Alexander the Great. So literally, it's, 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 he sees this horn in the vision. This is the Hellenistic or Greek Empire. Uh, and so Alexander, the, Alexander uh, um, was uh, born, he became king in 336 at the age of 20. 336 B.C. at the age of 20. And he began moving against Persia in 334. So after two years of assembling his army, he moved toward Persia with a, with a force of 35,000 soldiers. 35,000 soldiers moving really swiftly. Um, uh, so, you remember in chapter 2, it says the belly and the thighs of brass. This is the kingdom that it's describing, this Greek or Hellenistic kingdom. It was described formerly in chapter 7 as having four wings and a four-headed leopard. Now we see it described as this he-goat moving extremely quickly. Uh, he approached in, in, in verse 6, in verse 6 of, of Daniel, it says, that, so he came, it says in verse 6, he came up to the ram that had the two horns, 
which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and he rushed at him in his mighty wrath. So he came with this group of 35,000, and they were exceedingly angry. So the Greeks were really angry at the Persians, and that's because of something that had happened uh, in 486 B.C. That's when Xerxes, the, uh, the, the invasion of Xerxes into Greece. And so the Greeks had resented this where they lost many of their cities to the Persians, and the Greeks came with, with, with a, a, a tremendous force and attacked. And it, that said, then it says in verse 7 that uh, uh, this is the fall of the ram, or the fall of Persia. We are just plowing through empires here. This is the fall of Persia. And in fact, let me, let me just mention, if you've ever seen that movie, um, if you've ever seen the movie 300, that, ta- that is the Greek... Uh, the, 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 uh, the invasion of Xerxes upon the Greeks. Okay, so, so they came to the ram and they moved, he moved in anger. And they, 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 all the places that Alexander the Great moved, all of this is on maps. You can, you can see the exact maps and the places of attack. So they, they, they hit the Persian Empire in multiple cities and started conquering it. And the Persian Empires fell and their cities and Shushan, even their capital, fell quite rapidly. Alexander the Great moved right on into India, to the Indus River. He crossed uh, uh, south to the Indian Ocean. He wanted to move even further. He wanted to go further, uh, um, uh, further east into Asia, but his generals finally said, enough. They refused. And so they went back to Babylon. So after conquering all the way through to India, then they went back to Babylon. Alexander the Great wanted to go on further. You know, young guys are extremely zealous. I mean, they have, you know, very high levels of testosterone and they just, just really zealous. And these old generals said, you know, we're kind of tired here. We're going to get back to our family. So they go back to Babylon. And in verse 8, you see that it divided into four horns. That first horn was broken off and it divided into four horns. This is the, the untimely death of Alexander the Great. He died at the age of 32. So Alexander the Great died at the age of 32. There's, there's, it's not quite known what he died of. I've read that some people felt he died of alcoholism. Others felt he died over a, about a week and a half period of typhoid. It's not well known exactly what he died of. But he died at the age of 32. This extremely great man who had united this kingdom that conquered everybody and moved with with great swiftness, died at the age of 32. And then it says that the four horns came up. So you see in verse 8, it says, The male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken. This is speaking of the death of Alexander the Great. So this is being prophesied several hundred years before Alexander the Great. And in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. We had seen this in the previous chapter. We said that is the four generals that arose. And they, so they know the names of the generals. They know the areas that the generals... So the, the kingdom was divided up to the four generals. But it was not an easy divide. There was no plan of the Alexander the Great to die so young. He had not planned on this. So it took 40 years of fighting between the generals before they had divided up the, the earth into four different regions where, where they were governing the four regions. Um, and then, and then you, it talks about a little horn in verse 9. And out one of them came forth a rather small horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. So, so this was, was uh, uh, the... the uh, 
this king, this one of the generals, it had descended down to this one king, and it, it, his name was uh, Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. So his real name was Antiochus. He had added on that, that, that name Epiphanes. It's, it's interesting that a lot of the writing, a lot of what you see written about this is written in the book of Maccabees. This is not an inspired text, but it is this intertestamental text that the Jews still use to this day. This is where you get the, the celebration of Hanukkah. But you can read a lot about the, the things that were happening. And he says that one of the four horns, it comes out of Syria, it goes south toward Egypt, and then toward Mesopotamia. Then it mentions the beautiful land. The beautiful land is referred to as Israel. This is mentioned numerous times in the text. In Jeremiah 3, Ezekiel 20, Daniel 11, Zechariah 7, it refers to Israel as the beautiful land. And so the battle then came toward Israel. And this guy, this guy Antiochus, was a type, an image of the Antichrist. So what he did is he absolutely devastated Israel. Everyone else who had dominated them, let them have their religion, let them have their sacrifices. Even, even we know ultimately the Romans are going to let them reinstall their sacrifices and everything. Antiochus just wanted to utterly wipe them out. He tried to change their religion. And what he did is he made a pact between himself and many of the, the, uh, the Jews at that time. And then you, you, you go down in verse, in verse uh, 10. It talks about of, of that same chapter. It says, It grew up to the host of heaven and it caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall. So, so uh, um, what he's referring to is he's referring to this intense attack upon the Jewish nation that occurred. Even the leadership were falling. And the book of Maccabees just describes it. I've got text from the book of Maccabees. I mean, let me just read you one paragraph from the book of Maccabees. It says, And two years had fully expired. The king sent his chief collector of tribute unto the cities of Judah, who came unto Jerusalem with a great multitude and spake peaceable words unto them. But all was deceit, for when they had given him credence, he fell suddenly upon the city and smote it very sore and destroyed much people of Israel. And when they had taken the spoils of the city, he set it on fire. He pulled down the houses and the walls thereof and every so on every side. But women and children he took captive and, he possess and, 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 and possessed the city. And it goes on. And so they forbade the Jews from circumcising their children, which to them was something they absolutely had to do on the eighth day. And they would examine children. If the child, if the male child was circumcised, they would take the child hang it around its mother's neck and push the two of them off the wall in Jerusalem. This is what they would do. These are very high stone walls with stones that are very far. It goes down a huge cliff and that's what, he would do every, that's what he would do for any child that he would find circumcised. He changed the... Uh, um, so, so one of the things that the rabbi did, so th this, this man uh, called himself Epiphanes, which is, he named himself, which is a God name. So he took on... He exalted himself as God. We've seen this before. Nebuchadnezzar set up a big statue. And he set up a big statue, made everyone worship it. But then Darius set himself up saying, everybody's got to appeal to me. And now this Antiochus sets himself up as God. He is a type or an image of the Antichrist, just like Joseph in the Bible is a type or an image of the Messiah who was to come. Antiochus is an image of the Antichrist. 
So what the rabbis did, they changed this name Epiphanes to Epinomes. And that means madman. So it was a little play on words. So that's what they would call him. That's what they would refer to him as in their writings. They would refer to him as Epimones, Antiochus Epimenes, or Antiochus the madman. Uh, he, he took away their burnt offerings. And then finally, there was the abomination of desolations. He, he went into the temple and he had his men bring in prostitutes into the temple and use the temple as a place of prostitution. And then he would, took a pig, an unclean animal, brought it in and had it sacrificed on the altar. This is exactly what happens in the end times. This is an image of what ultimately happens in the end times. This was the second temple. The first temple, the Jews had turned into a place of idolatry. They went into 70 years of captivity. The second temple, the Gentiles turned into, the Greeks in particular, turned into a place of idolatry. And so huge amounts of destruction. Many, many people were killed. And in fact, it documents in, 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 uh, the number of people that were killed. All of this was happening. This, this rage occurred for 2,300 days. So they know when the rage occurred and they can track this thing back. And then finally, there was a man who was raised up. There was a righteous high priest came and, and, uh, and a, a, uh, a, a certain revolt started. And they went and they started attacking. This was under a man named, named uh, Jason. But before that occurred, after the abomination of Je- desolation, Jason came in. And uh, uh, they, know, they know exactly the date that, that uh, the, the temple be, began to, to be cleansed. And that was in, in September 9th, 171 B.C. So, so, actually, I'm sorry, September 9th, 171 B.C. was the, the desolation. And then the, the temple was cleansed in December 25th, 165 B.C. That's 2,300 days. And so it's exactly the number that was prophesied. was exactly what's ri- written in the book of Maccabees. And so then you see, see this, um, you see this, the, these two angelic beings are speaking. So in the Bible it talks about two angelic beings that are speaking. We'll, we'll talk more about this next time, but there's this desolation. What I want to do is I want you to think about this. Here is this man, Alexander the Great, at the peak of his reign. He's 32 years old and he dies. Very suddenly he dies. All is gone. Everything is lost. I want you to turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. And in Psalm 62, it's interesting because, again, as we take hold of this thought, Alexander the Great lost everything in his prime. There is nothing in life that is guaranteed. What we see is the city of Babylon that controlled all the earth. It fell overnight to the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians grew very strong and they fall very quickly to Alexander the Great. They started magnifying themselves, thinking nothing could happen to them. And they fall. And then, and then Alexander the Great rises up at the age of 20. All through your 20s, you'll feel quite invincible. At the age of 32, the man drops dead. Everything is lost for this man. This is exactly the picture of life. In an instant, we can lose money. 
In an instant, we can lose our health. You can lose your limbs. You can lose your eyes. You can lose your ears. You can lose your family in an instant. In a car accident, you can lose everything. You can lose your children. You could lose your spouse. You could lose your job. Quite demoralizing to lose your job. To be going in, enjoying your job, loving your job, and then all of a sudden, you're told there's going to be layoffs. For things that you don't even understand, you can lose your job. Quite demoralizing. You might even be at an age where you lose your job, where it's hard to now find another job. Here's a really difficult one to lose, but it can be lost, and that's your dignity. Your dignity can be lost. There can be a character assassination that you have nothing to do with, and all of a sudden there's an, there's an accusation. With the Internet, and I have seen this, with the Internet, character assassinations can spread like wildfire. And the more you do to try to defend yourself, the more guilty you look. And there is no keeping up with it, because there's so many ways it spreads electronically. And you can lose your dignity overnight. You can lose your friends very quickly. You can lose your school opportunities. And I've seen this, where students have, have been found guilty of an accusation against, uh, uh, for, for, um, for, for uh, plagiarism. And, and uh, it may have been a right, a, a right finding, it may have been a wrong finding, but they're expelled from the university. I mean, things that you treasure can be lost overnight. I want to read this Psalm 62. This is often referred to as the only psalm. Now, not that it's the only one, of, because we know there's, there's 150 of them. It's because the word only is used so many times. Now, if you use the NIV, the NIV is a paraphrased version of the Bible. It does not take the exact words of the Bible and try to translate it and put it into English. It paraphrases. So, the NIV has taken the word only out of this, so you won't know what I'm talking about. But what I did, is, so the New American Standard is a standard or revised standard version are much more accurate translations. And I went that, and the King James talks about the word only. And then if you go to the Young's Literal Translation, which is one of the translations on many of the electronic Bibles that you can look at, that is an exact word-for-word -word translation. Now, it's quite confusing because they a lot of times left out tenses, they left out verbs, and they'll put the verbs in brackets so you know that that's added. But many of the verses here, when we read the word only, that verse starts with the word only. It starts with the verse only. So about half of the verses in this chapter start with the word only. That's why it's referred to as the only psalm. But he says in verse 1, Psalm 62, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. In fact, in, in, in the Young's Literal Translation, it says, Only for God my soul waits. That's how, how they do it. He is, so, so think of what this, this writer is saying. My soul waits in silence for God only. For, an, for Him, only from Him is my salvation. From God is my salvation. What this psalmist is doing, he's, he's bringing us back to the absolute fundamental. Everything in your life can be lost in an instant. And many of you will experience this because it happens to people all the time. In an instant, in a car accident, you can, lose, you can lose the ability to walk. In an instant. In an instant, you can lose the one whom you love. I've known people that they are engaged and they're getting ready for marriage. And 
One of the two parties dies. Gets hit by a car crossing the street. This happens. Your world can be shaken from you. You remember this only psalm. Psalm 62. When these things hit you in life, I'm going to bring you back to the only psalm. Psalm 62. If you forget, you just Google only psalm. Boom, it'll come up. Psalm 62. And then read it in a version other than the the NIV. Verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. He's saying, He only. This is the only one. God is the only one to whom I can hold. When we start losing our sharpness, I see this with men in this church. I see this. They go from very top position, CEOs, sharp guys. Then they retire. There's all this dignity, everything. Then they retire and they get a little stroke. They get some dementia and their mind starts to go. Dignity is lost. Nobody's giving them this respect anymore. They went from being way up here to just being some old guy that you see walking around and you wonder, you know, where's his mind? This happens to people. Just remember, there is only one thing in life that will always be retained and that is your relationship with God. He only is my rock and my, my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. I can remember faculty members where there were professors senior professors that no, are going to do it this way. They pound their hand on the table like, like Gorbachev, or like, like, like uh, Khrushchev, I mean. And they just, just as if you know, they were going to hit their shoe on the table or something and say, this is the way we're going to do it. And all the assistant professors cowering. Well, lo and behold, after a few decades, the person grows pretty old. Nobody cares about them anymore. And their minds start to go. They're not so sharp. They try to get out their sentences and it doesn't come out very quickly anymore. And their hands are starting to shake a lot. And they become irrelevant. They become absolutely irrelevant. The younger professors just start taking over. And they do what they need to do. And the old guy's irrelevant. This happens in life. He says, He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. When your world is shaking around you and coming down around you, what we just plowed through in an instant was the overcoming of empires with massive, massive killing. One-third of the Jewish world was killed by, by this king when he took over Jerusalem. One-third of the world's population of Jews was estimated killed. One-third of the Jews were killed by Hitler. One-third of the world's Jews were killed by Hitler. In the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, Two-thirds of the Jewish population will be killed, the scriptures say. Two-thirds will be killed. Our worlds can come crashing down around us. We live comfortably in a little narrow window of human history. You thank God for the period in which you've been born, for the place in which you've been born. It's a narrow window in this spectrum of human history where you don't worry about people just coming into your neighborhood and just killing everybody. You don't generally worry about that. This was a constant worry in, in places throughout the world before our times and still residing in many places in the world in this time. That everything can be lost in an instance. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, leaning, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, 
they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delighted in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Silah. So he says that there are people who come against us that mean only our destruction. And here is what he has to say. My soul, wait in silence for God only. Remember, in the little, literal translation, every time you see this word only, it's at the beginning of this sentence. Only in God, my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Remember when your world starts crashing around you. Remember this only psalm. Remember you can come back to this. Remember when you are devastated, when something happens, when someone important to you in your world in which you live, when someone you love, you think you're developing a relationship, tells you that they want nothing to do with you anymore. Remember the only psalm. Come back to this. Because Jesus has not left you. You wait for Him only. For my hope is in Him. He is the only one that will not disappoint you. If you think that you will marry some great young man. Ladies, if you think you'll marry some great young man and he'll take care of all your needs and he'll take care of you and he's just going to be so wonderful, you will be sorely disappointed because nobody can meet all your needs. If you think that you're going to meet some young lady who's going to do some great things for you and you're going to be happily, ha- live happily ever after, you are in for a rude awakening. There are troubles and there are problems that come in marriage. But remember, there is one who stands with you and will never leave your side. And that is Jesus. God and Him only. He will be your stronghold. He is the one that will take you through these times when this child whom you have born, whom you have born, who you love, who you would give yourself a thousand times for that child, grows up to say things that are really hard and really cruel and rebel and go against your, your teachings. Remember, when your world becomes shaken, you go back to God and He will be your comfort. He will be your stronghold. Verse 6, He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. He is the rock of our strength. He is the only one to whom we can come that will not, will not fail us. He is the only one when all else is lost when our minds aren't as sharp anymore, when our hands are shaking, when our legs may not work anymore and we have to be pushed around in a wheelchair. Remember, He will be there. He has not changed. He is our rock. Remember the only psalm. Psalm 62, verse 7, On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my salvation, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You are to pour out your heart to God. You learn to do it in this young age. You pour out your heart to God. And the relationship grows so precious. It was before God. It was before God that I bowed my knee when I was 18 years old as a freshman in college. It was before Him that I would go to the chapel every day on campus and pray when I was an undergraduate. And then in graduate school. It was before Him that I served. It was before Him whenever I... I lacked the unction to to go and to knock on doors to share Jesus. It was Him who would strengthen me. And now I look back on my relationship with Him like we're old friends. Lord, remember that day you saw me through. 
You delivered me so many times. You'll not drop me now. That I know. You haven't brought me this far to drop me. I look at him as an old friend. He has always been there for me. He has seen me through the difficult times. He has seen me through the tragedies. He has seen me through the loss. And this is the preciousness that we have in Him. When you come to death's door, He will be there. That treasure from your childhood, He will be there. Maintain that relationship. He says in verse 9, Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. He says, you know, you may have all sorts of people coming at you in life. He says, do not trust in oppression and do, do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. You know, the scriptures say, don't you set your heart on money in a moment it can be lost. He says, riches have wings like an eagle. Gone. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. It is so rich and so good. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would learn to put their hope in You and in You only because kingdoms and empires come and go. The pleasures of life can come and go in an instant. Things can be lost. Father, I pray that in this day, in these times, these young people would take hold of God And nurture that relationship and get to know Him. Father, I pray that as they grow, they will be able to look back on You as an old friend who has always been at their side. And Father, I pray for those here who do not know You, who are going to go through life without knowing You unless they repent. Father, I pray that they would repent, that they would turn to You and build a relationship with You. Father, draw them to Your Son, I pray. Glory be to Your name. Amen.